Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source for insights and best practices on the digital transformation of healthcare. Join host Patty Patmanaban, CEO of Demo Consulting and best-selling author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how consumerism, technology, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with healthcare and technology leaders. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back. It is my great privilege and honor to introduce our special guest today, Richard Ashworth, President and CEO of Tivity Health. Richard, thank you for setting aside the time and welcome to the show. Thanks, Patty. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're most welcome. So tell us a little bit about Tivity Health. It used to be formerly known as Healthways, changed the name recently, and uh, you're in the CEO role for a couple of years now. Could you tell us a little bit about the company, how you came into the role? Yeah, for sure. It's great. I uh, love talking about Tivity Health. So here, you know, this organization's uh, number one focus is to empower people, communities, and partners and helping them on their support of life's journey. Our vision is healthier, happier, and more connected lives. So we're trying to help an aging population kind of manage this journey through life. And we do that a couple of ways. One way we do that is through physical activity and virtual activity. So we help people, you know, by giving them a gym membership, we help them by helping them engage in physical, healthy behavior. We do that on the social side with engagement and helping people have social connectedness. And we help people on mental enrichment, this, uh, that side as well. We have a couple of other businesses under Tivity Health. In addition, uh, like an integrated health service that has like uh, chiropractic care, physical therapy, occupational therapy, acupuncture, acute therapeutic massage, things like that. Our brands are Silver Sneakers. That's our, our premier brand. That's the nation's leading fitness program for older adults. We also have Prime Fitness, which is really kind of a discounted access to thousands of fitness locations. We do that in partnership with commercial plans and employers. And then we also have Whole Health Living, which is that integrative uh, kind of health management business. From personally, I started working at Walgreens when I was in high school, started as a stock boy and really fell in love with pharmacy. So I became a pharmacist and I just love the way that pharmacists work within the community. They were accessible. You could walk up to any drugstore and talk to any pharmacist anytime and they're always there to help you. It wasn't really just about the medicine. It was more about kind of the community, the relationships, the life. And I was drawn to that aspect of it. So did that for a very long time. That started my 30 year career actually at Walgreens. And I left there, yeah, I had lots of roles there, a commercial, operational, strategic, international, and I left there when I was president of the company. And, and to your point, I came here, I've been here for 18 months. The reason I came here was I, you know, I spent my whole career on the treatment side of healthcare. By the time I got folks, they were you know, taking medicine, they were overweight, they were struggling with their health. And I really, and I have a personal passion for fitness and for nutrition and actually for the elderly. And so I wanted to kind of get to a, a spot that helped me do that. Well, there's no better place in all of healthcare to do that than here at Tivity Health. Right, right. That's a fascinating story. And of course, Walgreens is in Chicago, and we're both from Chicago. So it's yep. kind of a, a point of connection there, I guess. So Richard, before we jump into what Tivity Health does, I'd like to get your thoughts on the macro trends that you see in healthcare. Now, especially as we head into 2022, we are coming out of 18 months, give or take, of a, of a pandemic. And you know, what do you see going into 2022? What are the macro trends that are going to be playing out in healthcare in general 
and maybe touch upon how those are going to impact or influence your business. Yeah, well, there's quite a bit to that. I would say, you know, for <laughs> to try and keep the conversation in the time we have, I think there's two significant trends. One is the trend toward more digital health solutions. It's obviously been accelerated through the pandemic, but was growing before, but then the pandemic hit and it really just took a took a stratospheric growth in, in digital health. And the second is the growth in Medicare Advantage as, as more kind of baby boomers continue to, to age in. So on the digital front, I would say seniors have really adopted virtual solutions more readily than maybe what we all expected. And that's enabled us here at Tivity Health and through our Silver Sneakers platform to deliver services differently than how we've, we've done it before. In fact, there was a HHS study that just came out that showed a 63-fold increase in the use of telehealth under Medicare during the pandemic. And if you think about seniors using telehealth for their kind of regular healthcare while there was hard for them to get around and go into offices and to facilities, that is a massive increase in the adoption. Here, what we saw at Tivity Health was many of our fitness locations closed. You know, when we had all of the lockdowns, we quickly pivoted to offer a virtual live with instructor class. And today we've had more than three and a half million visits to those classes. So you can see the enthusiasm and the appetite. In fact, we have a pretty robust research engine here. And, and so we have lots of conversations with our members. And it shows us that 85% will continue to use digital offerings in addition to going to the physical locations, like to the fitness centers. And over 60% of them are using technology for like video calls and live streaming with their friends and their family. And over half are using it for medical appointments and for fitness classes. So it tells me there's this kind of coalescing of adoption of, of digital health. And our members can do some thousands of virtual activities each week. We've logged, like I said, more than three and a half million of them. But many of those members are first time users of silver sneakers, almost half. So that tells me that the barrier to entry into maybe working out or engaging in a healthier lifestyle, technology, virtual, digital, whatever term you want to use, is really helping people kind of get into it for the first time. On the Medicare growth side, you know, 10,000 people age every day in a Medicare. It's a fantastic entitlement program to take care of, you know, our older population. And by 2030, the number of beneficiaries enrolled in the program is supposed to hit 80 million people. So just the sheer numbers require us to think very differently about this population. But also their expectation is going to shift too, right? So baby boomers coming in today versus baby boomers coming in in 10 years from now, the technical capabilities are going to be very, very different. And they'll likely be able to live longer. Those that get older later, they, they'll probably want to age in place, right? With their own community and friends and family and activities. And they want to maintain that active, active lifestyle. So all of this is going to influence all kinds of programs and services that get offered to seniors in the health and wellness space. Yeah, I think that's a fairly comprehensive summary of the macro trends playing out. Obviously, the pandemic has accelerated the shift towards digital health. And you mentioned the telehealth stats. Of course, we all hope that their telehealth reimbursements would stay so that there is a sustained momentum for all of the digital health modalities, especially virtual visits and virtual concerts and so on. And the shift towards uh, fitness classes online, I'll come to that in a couple of minutes or so. But just quickly, you talked about Medicare beneficiaries being a big part of your customer population, right? Silver sneakers program, you know, the fitness. And now they're also very enthusiastic about digital health. Who's paying for the services? You know, are your customers mostly the health plans? Are they employers? Do people get to subscribe individually? All of the above. Can you give us a little bit of that? 
Yeah, for sure. So the number one way primarily we deliver silver sneakers is in partnership with the nation's leading Medicare Advantage plans. Yeah. So the funder of the program and making this program available to beneficiaries is the Medicare Advantage plan. So there's no out-of-pocket cost for the member themselves. What they do is they sign the whatever Medicare Advantage plan they pick. If Silver Sneakers is part of that, then they're able to have this at no cost to them membership into our virtual you know, experience where, where social engagement and mental enrichment are there and also virtual fitness like we talked about. But then they also get this robust gym network of up to 22, 23,000 gyms across the United States. And so we share a goal with the health plan. This is why this works so well is that not only us and, and many times the member, but also the plan really cares about providing physical fitness options for older adults. And what we also care about is the community that builds around that. So the result is, if you engage with Silver Sneakers, is better health outcomes, lower healthcare costs. In fact, we did a study with Avalier Health, and they showed a total annual average health expense, including medical and pharmacy, savings, if you're a Silver Sneakers member versus a non, to be $4,463 if you're a Silver Sneakers member on average, and $5,303 if you're not. And so this significant reduction in overall costs and, and why is that? We say, well, what is it that your program is doing that's helping achieve those kinds of cost differences? And it's really the positive impact that a healthier lifestyle has on your overall cost. I mean, people nod when I say this, like, of course, you know, if somebody who works out is probably healthier than somebody who doesn't, somebody who eats poorly probably isn't as healthy as someone who eats well. What we do at Silver Sneakers is we help people engage in that healthier behavior. And sometimes that's food. A lot of times that's physical health. A lot of times that's mental and Social And so what we see in our population on a like-for-like -like basis is 40% fewer hospital stays, 18% uh, fewer times going to the emergency room. When they do get into the hospital, they stay 1.4 days less than those that are not Silver Sneakers members. So being able to demonstrate this connection is, is really important. One of the other value propositions of Silver Sneakers, and we're talking about kind of the health side of it, but there are two other very powerful value propositions here. One is that we're really good in, and our brand is really well-loved and understood. And so that helps on acquisition and retention of members within the plan. So the health plans find a lot of value in that. So we get leveraged a lot in annual election period communications coming from the plans and say, hey, our plan has silver sneakers, you know, and so members like that. And so they, they might come in and engage with that health plan more often and stay longer. And then on the service side of things, we actually help raise the overall customer service scores that health plans get just by having the proximity of a silver sneakers experience. In fact, our NPS score is 83 and our uh, customer satisfaction score is 96. So we work alongside our health plans to bring this trusted brand, this healthier activity, and this fantastic service experience. Now, the pandemic obviously has changed the way a lot of services are delivered. And yep. I, I imagine that it, you know, you did allude to the fact that uh, since people were not going into the gym, you know, you had to provide a lot of online services. Was that something that you were already beginning to do or was that something that you had to build and roll out as a consequence of the pandemic? And I ask this because, you know, when I compare with telehealth, you know, you, you refer to telehealth, a lot of hospitals and health systems had telehealth offerings but they were not being used very widely. There was a very low volume of telehealth usage prior to the pandemic. 
of course, after the pandemic, everything kind of took off like a rocket. And then now it's coming back down a little bit and people are going back into the clinics. Do you see an analogous trend in your business? The answer is yes. So I wish I could say that we were really planning for this and had a robust strategy before, and we knew that digital was the new frontier for senior fitness. Uh, this wouldn't be true. So we were really focused on kind of the physical business and getting people out and about. And when the pandemic hit, we had to quickly, you know, kind of pivot to this digital and, and we weren't sure if it was really going to work. You know, there was all of the misnomers around, well, you know, seniors can engage in technology as well as younger folks and, you know, et cetera. And it just has turned out to not be true. They're a lot more savvy than you give them credit for generally. And, you know, they're on Facebook. They're, like I said, over half of them are live streaming with their family all the time. So they're, they're getting more and more comfortable on the technology side. But, you know, I come from retail. We had been building buy online, pick up and store for 10 years. And we had that capability at Walgreens for a long time, but nobody used it. Now it's buy online, get delivered at home. I mean, Taco Bell does it, right? Like <laughs> Anything you want is pretty much ubiquitous and available to get home. The pandemic has just cemented that into the fabric of how consumers operate. And so to your question, are we seeing that in our business? And the answer is yes. And so do I see a future world? And you talked about kind of the little bit of the rubber band of, you know, Peloton is seeing this and others are seeing this where there was like this high demand and then kind of a retraction back and then a little demand and retraction back. Some of that I think is just consumer, typical consumer behavior of, you know, what have you done for me lately? So I, I tried this, I liked it for a period of time. Yeah, oh, I want to try something else. For us, what I think is the future world for silver sneakers or for physical fitness is not 100% digital and zero physical or 100% physical and zero digital. It will be a combination of both. It'll be a hybrid world. And I come from consumer world, so my mind is always consumer oriented. And you just have to give consumers the choice and the experiences that they desire. And those desires will wane and they will, they will come and new desires will come on. And the existing desires that are important to them today will not be important in three or four years. And as businesses, we have to expand and retract right along with them. So I see a future world that is both physical and digital. And I'll just give you a quick example. I actually got a letter on this not that long ago from one of our members. She said, you know, I really like being at the YMCA. I love being, and she also has a 24-hour fitness that she goes to. Our program allows you to go to multiple gyms if you want to. You don't have to just pick one. It's actually kind of a cool value prop. So she likes to go to those gyms, but it was, uh, it was really bad weather. And she does not drive when it rains. Like, forget it. Not doing it, right? She's like 73, I think. And so she said, it was awesome because I got up in the morning and I still wanted to, I had some friends coming over later in the afternoon and I still wanted to get my workout in. So I did your Zumba class with Cheryl Lynn, which is one of our national trainers who's awesome personality and so much fun. And I thought, that's it. That's exactly right, right? We gave her an offering that allowed her to put it in the fabric of her life and the way that worked for her. And yet we still have this other experience too, if she wants to do that. And I thought that was a perfect example of what we built here and why it's applicable for her. Yeah, the hybrid model. And I think everyone is planning for some kind of a hybrid going forward. We're never going to go back to what it was before, but uh, it's not going to be all 100% this or 100% that either. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. Now you mentioned Peloton. Do you consider them Peloton, Apple Fitness? Those are the two that come to my mind when we talk about online fitness. I personally use Apple Fitness. Where does your company fit in that milieu of online fitness, wellness providers, if you will? Yeah, so I don't, I love Apple Fitness, by the way. I use it all the time. At our household, we're all in the living room, all doing it together. You know, it's, it's kind of a, a really cool experience. A couple things with that. I don't view that as competitive. I view that as additive. So I think if some of our members want to go and do that, I think that's fantastic for them. 
one of the things we have to be really careful about in senior fitness is that there is a scientific way by which you have elderly workout. And so the reason I don't really see Peloton as a, as a competitor is most of our members, I don't want up on a bike off the ground. I do not want that. There's more of a risk for fall. And if we have hip fractures and things like that, that has a severe detriment on their health outcomes in totality. We don't want that. So we are very, very proprietary and clinical about how we do workouts. We know what orthostatic hypotension is. We know how many times you should be getting on the floor and back up in a, in a 10, 15 minute period. We understand flexibility changes over time and the rigidity of tendons and how to do that stuff. Those other companies are much, uh, the audience is much different <laughs> than what we're, what we're talking about. So, and I think they do a fan, both of them, by the way, big fans. I think they do a fantastic job. What we try and do is deliver a best in class experience that has measurable value for the health plan. And fitness is so competitive. Like you can go to YouTube and watch anything you want, but again, maybe not safe for them and for their condition and where they're at. And the other thing for us is we are live. Now we have a full on-demand library too, just like everybody else. And that's fine. And some people like that, but all of our stuff is live because we really care about the community aspect. And we know that social connection. You know, Julian Lundstad has this uh, stat that she did an aging study on. And it's, it's really cool. So she did, um, if you forget quality for a second, you just want to live long. That's your goal. Just want to live as long as I can. You know, you would say, okay, well, what are the factors that make people live the longest? And you might go, okay, well, wait, you know, your DNA or uh, maybe where you live in the world, right? You know, and some of those things are influential. The number one thing is how many friends you have. You want to live longer, have more friends, right? It's that simple. So when they looked at all the data and looked at hundreds of thousands of people, that was the number one thing. People had friends live longer. And so there's a, an inherent social community, community you know, t ev evidence for us that we have to participate in. So for us on the competition front, it's less that, this is going to sound a little hokey, but I think our number one competitor is actually our member. So think about, you know, you, you like Apple Fitness, but there are days you're laying in bed in the morning and you want to get up and you know you need to go do it. And the biggest enemy to go and do it is you. It's not the access to the computer, to the Apple fitness thing. There's, a, you know, it's always the enemy within. I am an avid workout person and I am always striving to be better than I am today. And I'm never going to get there, by the way, just let you know now, my personality won't let me, but I'll never make it. And that's who I see as like a real competitor. Like we have, you know, eight, nine, 10% of our people work out on a regular basis. I want that to be 80%, right? So how do I get that other 70% of those people to go do the workout? It's not give them more gyms. It's not give them a better virtual online. No, 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 it's, it's in here. It's the like intrinsic motivation to go and do it. We do have traditional competitors, of course, and I'm always worried about what everybody's gonna do with my members because I wanna make sure we're here for them. But generally that's the, that's the way I see it. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, in the world of technology sales, there's this term, you know, the biggest competitors really usually uh, do nothing. You know, the customer decides not to make a decision. <laughs> so in yep. your case, if your customer makes a decision, not to do a workout, then that's really your competitor because you know that has all kinds of adverse outcomes that nobody wants. Uh, you don't want it, your health plans don't want it, nobody wants it. That's really interesting. That's an interesting breakdown. And of course, I think uh, most people uh, may not be totally appreciative of the fact that for senior fitness, you need, a, you need a certain way of going about it. And it's not like you just go online, you know, find the next fitness video on YouTube and start working on. You just don't do that. There's a way to do it. And so I think that's a very good point that you make, Richard, in terms of the value proposition. So let's switch a little bit to, you know, just I just want to touch on one other thing. You know, healthcare is driven by reimbursements and you know, everything is about reimbursements. So your hospitals and your health systems, 
they're in a fee-for-service model. You know, the health insurance companies are trying to get everybody into more of an accountable care kind of a model. And obviously, wellness and preventive care, which is the space that your company is in, plays you know, very well into the notion of keeping people out of the hospital. Do you see a sort of a tug of war, if you will, between the two instincts in the marketplace? And I, I don't know if I'm stating this correctly, but you're paid to keep people out of the hospitals, but there's a whole other sector of healthcare that's paid to you know, treat people when they come into the hospital. How do the twain meet? Yeah, great question. You know, and I've spent time in, in other countries who have different healthcare models. And I'm, man, I'm not buying or selling on which one works or doesn't work because I think they all have their intrinsic flaws. The one you just brought up is a, is a very basic in one way, but, but kind of cuts through all the other commentary that people have about healthcare. And it really gets down to it's a symptom-based healthcare system that providers make money on activity. And if you make money on activity versus make money on whole outcomes, there will always be the tension you just described. The optimist in me is really encouraged by all of these new value-based primary care provider organizations. So you think about Oak Street, ChenMed, Village MD, One Medical, all these kinds of organizations, uh, Iora, there's many, many others. And I know a lot of the leadership in those organizations, and I will tell you that they are just fantastic people trying to create the right kind of healthcare system for, for members, which is a 360 view of the member and says, hey, healthcare funder, employer, entitlement program, government, whatever, pay me what you think is right to take care of this population and then let me go and do that so that I can, I can take care of them properly. What will happen by that by nature is that you will begin to move forward in taking care of patients versus moving backward in taking care of patients. So again, being a pharmacist, there were many, 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 many times back to your, you know, do nothing comment, which I, I find a lot of value in and agree with you on, is we were making choices on which of the five meds can we buy this week. So we're laying them all out and they can't afford all five. So we're looking at it and I'm like, okay, well, you know, your ferrosamide is for your, for your water intake. You, you can't let that go. Your, your pressure will go too high. This one's for your diabetes. We know sugar has to be controlled. That'll put you in the hospital, your feet, your eyes. Nope, can't do that. And of course, all of the drugs are important, right? So to make the determination on let's do these three and we'll pick up the next two next week is, is a choice that is just awful, right? Because you're having them make a choice. And I think if we were just focused on that front end, we'd have less people with diabetes, less people with high blood pressure, people making better choices on eating things that don't have high salt and don't have high fat and don't have high carbohydrates and start moving more, like move. And we, you know, if we could get people to do that in totality and the healthcare system was also incented to drive that, not just the periphery organizations. So it's a little easy for me to say, that's how I get paid is on that behavior. So people would look, if you wanted to be critical of me, you would say, well, yeah, that's how you make money. So of course you care about that. And I would remind people, you know, that that tension will always be true. And then the other thing that, that makes me encouraged and the optimist to me is that health systems also do get this. So you see the more premier health systems pivoting from big, big buildings with high towers and blinking lights and trying to move more community and try and move a little more forward into it. These value-based arrangements or total cap risk or these types of things. And as CMS continues to incent that and to encourage that, I think over time, we will get there. Will it be a 15 or 20 year vision versus a five? I don't know the answer, but I think this is a real, real tension point. So you've had a long and very distinguished career in Walgreens primarily. And uh, of course, uh, now you're in, a, you're in a business that is kind of related, but very different too, in many ways. Just from a leadership learning standpoint over, you know, over, your, over the years, what do you think prepared you for this role that you're in now? 
I don't know if you're ever prepared for a role. Uh, you know, this is my, my first time being a CEO. So I feel like even this morning I was in a bunch of meetings and I'm like, man, sometimes you're just kind of going by the seat of your pants, you know, you just, but uh, Walgreens is a really refined institution with really smart people and world-class processes. So I know that all of those experiences of having those different roles over those 28 years really gave me some unique capabilities to excel in the role. But putting all that aside, Honestly, it was when I was working in stores, you know, when I was a stock boy and a cashier and a photo clerk, and then a pharmacy technician, and then an assistant manager, and then a pharmacist, and then a store manager, and, you know, helping people basically, you know, eyeball to eyeball and delivering a service to them and seeing the pain that they go through. And very, very quickly, you know, one thing that really hit me hard, especially after I became a pharmacist, I was a district manager and I was living in Minnesota. And I was standing at the store about to leave and I was just waiting to say goodbye to the front cashier, but she had a couple people in line. And the lady that was in the front of the line wasn't buying anything, but had been there for like a couple of minutes. And you know how it is when you're shopping at a convenience retail, you don't want any, you want in and out, like don't, don't waste my time. This lady was explaining to the cashier about her cat and what was happening with her cat and whatever. And I was listening a little bit to the conversation, but also talking to some other people. She checked out the other two folks and I went to go say goodbye to the cashier. And I said, oh, it was interesting. That lady in the front talking about the cat. She goes, she's here every day. Every day she comes and gives me the update on, on the cats. I said, oh, she doesn't buy anything. She goes, every once in a while, but no, not really. I said, well, why does she do that? She goes, she has no one at home. She's completely alone. So I'm like, man, you know, the, the impact of that front cashier on this lady's life was profound. And all she did was talk to her about a cat every day, right? Yeah. But because of that, I just really got to understand the humanity of living across, living next to other humans who have different things. I heard somebody say this, uh, it was on one of the panels I was on, but they said, you know, we're all in this together, you know, this pandemic, but we all have different boats. And I really thought that was powerful because she's the lady that said that was, oh man, just so right. Like, you know, maybe some of us are in yachts and we have a big family and we have money and we live in a nice part of the world and other people are in robots just trying to survive and not sink. And so I think I learned that being in retail and being on the ground level with patients. And I think that pays me huge dividends today because every time I make an executive decision, I always immediately go right to the member and put myself in their shoes. Does this decision we're making today make it better for that person? Yes or no. And if the answer to that is no, then we're not spending money on that. Let's move on to something else. And it's it's hard to stay principled that way because you have shareholders and you have all these other competing priorities. But if you do that, I actually think in the end, it works out better for everybody. I can relate that anecdote that you just narrated to the earlier comment you made about, you know, longevity being a function of how many friends that you have. And usually I don't talk about myself on my podcast, but I wanted to share just this quick anecdote with you. I live in Chicago, just like you do. Uh, last year in the middle of the pandemic, and I'm a musician. And in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of the summer, I pulled out my guitar and my gear and started doing concerts on my driveway. And about, you know, over the weeks, and I did about 15 of these. And over time, about 80 or 100 people would gather around. They'd sit on my lawn across the street, bring their... And a lot of them would come up to me and talk to me after and basically thank me for improving their emotional health because they were all at home. They were not able to go out and meet their friends. They do all the normal things they would do, like go to go to see a show or, you know, whatever it is. Anyway, I can totally relate to that because, you know, every little thing makes a, like you said, could make a profound impact on somebody's life and you don't even know about it. So we're coming up to the end of our time here. I just have, you know, another question related to careers. There's a lot of, uh, today we are in the midst of the great resignation. 
people are trying to figure out what that is and why it's happening. But at the same time, there's also great opportunities, especially in healthcare. And you're in healthcare, so am I. I'm committed to this field for the last 20 years. You've been in this field much longer. What is your advice to the new, the younger generation that is coming into the workplace today and is looking at healthcare as a career? Yeah, maybe maybe three very simple things. One is that pick a job where it makes a difference. You need to work in something that you have a personal passion for. And healthcare is mission-driven. So our, our colleagues are so proud to work here. I'm impressed every day by the passion and commitment they have and the roles they have and the difference that they make. And so if you are passionate about helping people, if you're passionate about addressing inequity, and if you're passionate about improving the health of the people around you, this is a great profession for you. So that'd be one. And second would be that the opportunities are limitless. We have a shortage of clinical people to deliver care in the future for this population. And I think so that, that means there's money available. That means there's jobs available. I moderated a discussion uh, last week about healthcare workforce and the need for more clinical workers at all levels, especially as we get out into rural America. But there are also these very innovative opportunities in digital health and data, health-related services, mental health, senior living, home-based care. I could just keep going. So there's a lot of M&A, a lot of money, a lot of finance, a lot of banking. So I think it's, you know, makes a difference, tons of opportunity. And then the third one would be is learn about the aging space. So this is the, the highest spend of healthcare is here, the biggest need. All of us had a mom or a dad at some point. All of us had grandparents at some point. So there is, there's so much innovation and so much need going on in the aging space and the jobs are you know, limitless there. And it has to serve this population, nothing really, really feels better. So if I would have, and I, I got lucky because I, I discovered pharmacy because I got a job at drugstore because I needed a pull out CD player and my dad wouldn't buy it for me. So that's why I got the job. And then I discovered and fell upon pharmacy and something that helped me feel like I was giving back. And I think a lot of young kids don't always have the right opportunities. Just kind of depends on your little ecosystem and where you live, right? And what you know of the world, which isn't much when you're young, even though a lot of, I thought I knew everything. Of course, that's one thing about me. But then I learned over time, what, there's so much you don't know. And so I think it's about the mission. I think it's about the opportunity. And I think the age-related space is a really cool space for for youngsters to get into. Not to mention that all of us will age. So You'll get there yourself, yeah. <laughs> we have a vested interest in paying attention to the aging space for a number of reasons. But Richard, what a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for setting aside the time and uh, all the very best to you and your team at Tivity Health. And we will be following your progress and uh, look forward to a successful 22 for you. Thank you. Stay safe. Talk soon. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can reach us at info at with your feedback and questions. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox.